This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 636 of the 200 Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum, and I will be your head number one this week. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two. Happy to invite you nerds to another new comics review show where we'll be talking about, you guessed it, new comics from the past two Wednesdays, September the 15th, and today, September the 22nd. After that, we'll set you nerds up with our must-read picks for next week's new comics, and finally, we'll give you a preview of our Patreon Extra segment, where the comic pushers are revisiting DC's New 52 ten damn years later. I cannot believe it's been ten years. <laughs> it's insane to see if there's anything worth reading and work through some old trauma, too. It's all happening now in this THN Turning Point episode, and it starts with review time in the ziggurat! It's a turning uh, point episode it, for the It's a milestone. It's a milestone. Okay. Just stick with the brand. It's a milestone episode. Okay. We got a pile of new comics to review, kiddies, and it's crawling with monkeys from space, Thanos' family reunions, dead Doctors Strange, and... Wait, this can't be right. Onslaught is back? Matt, why don't you get us started while I look into this? Just in time, too. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Starting off with last week, I'm going to lead us off with Eternals, Thanos Rises, number one from Marvel. It cost $3.99. It was written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Dustin Weaver. Here's your solicit. Eternals are created, not born. They have families, but their families make no new children. It's simply not what Eternals do. Some of them thought they could find a way to change that and believed it would be for the best. They were terribly, terribly wrong. First of all, if you don't like the text pages in the X-Books, let me stop you right here. There's a lot to read, and it's not the kind of extra material added to the X-Titles. It's important plot explanation and background. And... I thought it was very solid, too. Gillen is playing on the rules of the Eternals and their purpose. The old guard, of course, doesn't want to change anything, and the new wants to explore the idea of having children. As you can tell by the solicit, that doesn't go well, but <laughs> there is much more going on here. Dustin Weaver is channeling his inner Kirby with some of the best eye-popping art I have seen from the guy. He's been doing some cover work at Marvel recently, but we haven't seen him on interior pencils for quite a while, and wow, is it nice to have him back. I don't know enough about Thanos' origin to say that this is a major change or something new, but it felt very new. It was heartbreaking and terrifying, just the way the Mad Titan's origin should read. Gillen is killing it on the Eternals right now. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. It's also um, just buck wild, crazy go nuts, oh, bonkers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and like, so I have not been reading Gillen's Eternals. And I would not say that it's necessarily required reading. It probably would help some. But this is a flashback story. Um, regarding Thanos's origin, we know a lot of it already uh, in terms of like who his parents were. Um, who his brother is, that sort of thing. Uh, the fact that like his his birth drove his mom insane, and uh, all that stuff. Like Jason Aaron did that Thanos. Uh, I want to say it was Thanos Rising with an ing at the end. Um, a few years back at Marvel. Yes, and uh, that was all about like young Thanos. Like that was the journey of young Thanos. This is more about Thanos's baby daddy and baby mama. And uh, their role within the Eternals as a as a culture. Yeah, this is the and, special hug that made Thanos. Right. And also like the schism, like, well, hey, have you ever wondered why some Eternals live on uh, Titan and some live on Earth? This is why. There you go. And I think it's and, pronounced um, schism. I'm pretty yeah, sure. well, that's a, it's a, uh, like lachaim, like schism. Uh, and so I don't know, uh, but the, all of this stuff here, like from the solicit about how Eternals are all born in a lab, like I don't, I didn't know any of that. As far as I ever knew, like Thanos was mentors, was 
Mentor's son and Eros's uh, brother made the old-fashioned way. Um, and he was, but that's not how Eternals normally get down. Yeah, and I think therein lies the issue. Yes. Um, and so uh, it was a really interesting way to kind of massage whatever new ideas Gillen was adding into whatever was already established by Kirby and uh, future writers, uh, Jason Aaron, whoever else touched the Eternals, like in the pages of Avengers and things like that. Right. And uh, I thought it was a blast. The art was stunning. The art was stunning. Uh, it made my eyeballs bleed. Yeah. Um, you know, like crap. if you stare at it for <laughs> if you stare at it for too long, I think you start to see things that aren't there. Totally. So be careful. There's like a panel um, where they have a meeting on a molecule. It's on a just, molecule, yeah. It's like I don't know, like why? Nuts. I don't know why. Why would you need to do that? But there you are. Well, they were being uh, quiet. They didn't. They were being secretive. They didn't uh, want sure, anyone to yeah, know. It's hush, hush. So, yeah. yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, this is a buy it. It was it was a ton of fun. It's it's just really wild crazy inventiveness do and you like think any of this bleeds into the mcu eternals movie i don't know because yeah, right? i don't know if they're gonna tie thanos into the eternals i don't either i had literally not thought of it until this moment that i'm not sure if they're gonna link eternals with thanos how can they not right well sure right like he is the mad you know he's right? the He's the mad Titan. And he, like, maybe part of this Eternals movie is going to explore some of that. I don't know. And, and we can talk about it more on cover to cover. We don't have to get into it here, but they have been constantly referencing this whole, well, why didn't the Eternals help fight Thanos? Why didn't the Eternals do anything when Thanos sure, was around? Right. Well, maybe we are going to find out why. <laughs> well, they, I mean, uh, they, they drop a, a line regarding that in the trailer. That's basically like the Celestials commanded them to stay out of mortal affairs but um but i mean there might be more to it than that there's obviously more to it than that there's obviously more to it than that um but I, as far as this comic goes it's a ton of fun it's yeah. a buy it just you know like regulate the amount of mind-altering drugs you take before you read it <laughs> i would argue it might help not regulating might help so oh boy yeah okay take it from your internet doctor matt bomb who sure. said who's okay. prescribing you a bunch of drugs <laughs> all the drugs all right. oh, your choice of course <laughs> Perfect. Moving on, it's Fantastic Four 35 from Marvel Comics, written by Dan Slott and Mark Wade and Jason Liu, with art by John Romita Jr., Paul Renault, and also Jason Liu. Here's your solicit. A Titanic 60th anniversary issue! The entire Kang bloodline is out to destroy every era of the Fantastic Four. How can Reed, Sue, Ben, and Johnny hope to survive simultaneous attacks across their lifetimes by Rama Tut? The Scarlet Centurion, Kang the Conqueror, and Kang's final descendant, the Sinister Scion. As we've established earlier in the show, words like this are pronounced Skyon. Skyon. Yeah. Skyon. Yeah. Skyon. <laughs> Join the FF and some special surprise guest stars as John Romita Jr. returns to Marvel. Yabbity, yabbity, yabbity. Uh, Marvel's first family will literally never be the same again. We'll see about that. I don't know. Uh, plus, Mark Wade is back. That's great. Uh, and, you know, we don't really need to read all the rest of this. No, no, no. It's the anniversary of the FF, and the only way to mark this decade's spanning celebration is with an attack from a council of cross-time Kangs. This group of descendants are after the final creation of their ancestor, Nathaniel Richards, RIP, a MacGuffin of unknown value and power. As they carry out their attacks across the timeline, Slot reminds us what makes the first family so special, no matter the era. Mark Wade's story offers an updated version of the team's origin that he first presented in his classic run with Mike Waringo that reveals the real reason that Reed encouraged his family to embrace the fantastic. It's so great. It was. It's such a small. Oh, it it's so such good. a small tweak to why they became superheroes. Uh, and it makes perfect sense. And it's uh, just a genius move by Wade. And I'm glad to see him revisit it here. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. John Romita Jr. is one of the best artists in the business. And his work is either elevated or tanked by the inking. It's true. Nothing but respect for the great Claus Jansen, who has done many iconic things. Uh, but he has never been a good fit for John Romita Jr. I'm sorry. Klaus Jansen's only sin when inking John Romita Jr., He's being John Romita Jr.'s good friend. That's his only sin. I think that might be true. <laughs> like, uh, like they just John, like working together. And I feel like John Romita Jr. is not dumb. He has to look at some of the stuff and be like, ugh, 
That's not so great, but God, I don't you know, know, man. I, Klaus is such a nice guy. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I see. I think I think that John Romita Jr. is. Uh, I think that his pencil st- penciling style is very very loose. I do too. And so, if an inker is not like really skilled at embellishment, yeah, the inker has to make a lot of choices. I think. Yeah, and, 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 and he's used to that and fine with it. You know, right. And it's, but if you have an inker that just plays it straight, like this is what John put on the page, then you're going to get stuff that looks incomplete. You're right. going to get gorillas that look like dogs or yeah. Sasquatches or whatever. And John Romita Jr. is going to be like, I didn't draw that. <laughs> sure. Uh, the good five inkers. It's a really good out. You know? uh, the five inkers with Ramita on this epic story deliver truly stunning work from the constantly shifting landscape of the time stream. Uh, pardon me. The It's like the no scape or the nowhere scape or something like that. Something like that. Uh, to the grandeur of Rama Tut's Citadel, to Ramita's classic chunky designs. Everything is so blocky. I love it. Yeah. Paul Renault's art on Mark Wade's backup story has a beautiful, timeless quality that's very fitting for the occasion. And on top of all that, friend of the show, pitiful human lizard creator Jason Liu gives readers a really wonderful and inventive two-page story that almost reads like a mini choose-your-own-adventure. It was so fun. That guy's not here without us, right? He's not here. Without I think it's safe to say that without the two edited nerd talking about Jason Liu on two or three occasions, yes. he would not be drawing Fantastic Four. Absolutely. Right now. Mark Wade doesn't know who he is. Dan Slott doesn't know who he is. Yeah. No question. Yep. It's like we're, when we're, we're, we're waiting for our big cut of that royalty check, but uh, Dan Slott follows us on Twitter, by the way. So there's truth to this. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's absolutely <laughs> no truth. <laughs> Zero truth. So it works. Uh, we've made no secret of the fact that this you run of FF get famous, has you come to the cigarette, you take your top off, and things happen for you. Okay, <laughs> show us the goods, Lou. <laughs> show us the goods, Lou. We'll make you famous. Uh, we've made no secret of the fact that this run of FF hasn't really hooked us, but Dan Slott and company have delivered an anniversary issue truly befitting the world's greatest comic magazine. Uh, Fantastic Four 35 gets a huge buy it. I'm, I think I'm back in with this issue. I'm going to, I'm going to keep reading for a while. And uh, yeah, I, I really loved it. Okay. So I'm going to borrow a, an idiom from a friend of mine's dad who's a real asshole, but what's this wee shit? You got a turd in your pocket. Cause I got back on Dan Slott's Fantastic Four a while ago. And don't give me that shit. We both, it. we both, re, we both read the beginning of this run. Go to the tape. Like, Go to the tape. I even, and I agree with you. Didn't start great got great later definitely but i've been reading it for a while I, there's nothing i'm going to say that's going to add to what you said this is just great it's a really really good fantastic four anniversary issue i'm not sure why 35 is a big important number but they're celebrating like 80 years of fantastic it's four, the it's right? the 60th anniversary or 60th year so pardon me 60 years. it's the six yeah this we is all the know month I can't fantastic four number that's one not, was released it's not my forte that's not my forte. <laughs> no, but this is great. And Slot has got a, a really firm hold of where he's going with this. I think this whole thing with the reckoning war, is that right? The re- is yeah. that what it's called? That they're building towards. It's all here. There's a reason why we're doing this. I love that Mark Wade came back and did this. And God damn it, Jason Liu, you sweet little guy. Good for you, man. <laughs> Just, I'm so happy for him. I know. Like, I'm so happy and for the guy. Think, I don't think this is the first thing he's done either for Marvel, but like, I was I was really it's the first thing we wasn't surprised to see his name. The Fantastic Four never expected to be menaced again by Claw. Jumping to DC, we're talking about last week's I Am Batman number one from DC. It's three ninety nine. I don't love the title. It's weird. It was written by John Ridley with art by Olivier Coipel. Here's your solicit. Pay close attention here, okay? In the throes of future state. The streets of Gotham City cry for justice, and Jace Fox answers the call. With a new and improved Batsuit, Jace hits the streets to inspire and protect, dot, 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 as he follows the trail of the voice of misinformation and violence, the anarchistic anti-oracle. Now, that doesn't happen here, so let's just take that off the board. Can the new uh, Dark Knight... I mean, it's, it's, it's getting there. We're going to get there. I suppose. Can the new Dark Knight counterbalance their plan to inspire armed rebellion in the citizens of Gotham? Can one man inspire a city? I admit, I have no idea how the timeline for Future State works. And while the solicit says this comic takes place in the, quote, throes of Future State, the story talks about elements of Fear State Alpha, too. Also. 
This is now the third Jace Fox series. So if you want to keep up yeah. with how he got here, you've got some reading to do and you'll still be confused. None of that is this comic's fault, though. And once I let go of my continuity wonk, when the hell does this take place thing? I really liked Jace as Batman. It doesn't hurt that Koi Pell and colorist Alex Sinclair have produced a gorgeous textured piece of comic book art that is almost too amazing to look at in some panels. There's one panel where Jace is racing away on a motorcycle into the neon lights of Gotham and the cape is whipping behind him and it is just amazing. I typically don't like an armored bat suit, but god damn, these guys make it look good. Now, don't get too attached to this art team, though, as Steven Segovia takes over Art Duty's next issue. I love Segovia, but this book looked so good, it just seems like a shame to switch it up at this point. I liked Ridley's take on Jace as Batman, too. He's got him trying to talk to the people of Gotham, even trying to talk to the cops instead of just vanishing after beating someone up. It was refreshing, and paired with his lack of gadgets and the addition of bat batons as his weapons, he really does feel like his own Batman. There's a, there's a scene where he's driving by and two kids are spray painting on a wall and he's trying to be tough and whatever. And he's like, Hey, those are great tags, but you know, like don't defile people's uh, private property. You know what I mean? And they are like, Whoa, Batman. And he's like, Oh yeah, it's me. <laughs> and then he drives away. <laughs> if you can get past where this fits in with the confusing world of Future State, there is a very good comic here. The confusion with timing as far as when this takes place, an art switch with issue two, and the fact that this is Jace's third number one is a little worrisome for fans of the character, though. It's hard enough to get people to try any new comic, let alone one starring an Afro-American Batman. This one just happens to be written by an Oscar-nominated filmmaker, and muddying the waters with this fear state, future state stunt certainly isn't going to help this issue out. I'm giving it a buy it, but it is a buy it in spite of what DC is doing right now. Well, I mean, yeah, right? You've got you've to kind of separate the quality of the work from the marketing of the work. Totally. And uh, I, But that said, this is also part of a larger tapestry and like you said, this is the second or third thing to star Jace Fox in such a way that it is very confusing where it fits in. Right. Now, like Matt and I, if you could see the thought process of Matt and I communicating last night. Oh, my God. The, the, uh, via text message, <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out. Second guessing ourselves. Try, like going back. And like, I think it's you're 11 wrong. o'clock no, I think at I'm night. Wrong. <laughs> we're both yeah, wrong. No, it's like it is near twilight hour. And we are like, okay, but wait, this, it says, the solicit says future state, but they talk about the fear bomb and scarecrow this. And Batman is dead, but he says something about it being six years, but it can't be six years because in fear state alpha, right? there's a scene where Jace Fox the way he looks in this story looks up at the new bat suit as it looks in this story. And it's, and that story is set in the present day. So I don't really under, and yeah. like on and on and on and on. And where we came down is that this comic is absolutely set in the future state timeline has to be because the magistrate has already taken over. The, the magistrate is controlling say, Gotham. Yeah. Like you got to get out of here. Is controlling Gotham. Batman has been presumed dead for six years or so as we know from reading the other future state books at the time he is not dead he's in the shadows doing what batman does but um so uh there was a there was an i am batman zero issue uh, that really didn't offer any helpful hints no, at all none uh there was also a 12 part digital first series called the next batman which is also a terrible title yeah um where he where it's all about tim fox uh, he then called Tim uh, training with Katana and some other dude. And then the, the, this guy Vol, who is his, his Oracle basically, or his, his Lucius um, is from that series. And that's all future state stuff. And if you've never read any of it, you won't know who the hell Vol is. You won't know why Tim is now called Jace. You, you won't, won't know why yeah. he's mad at his you dad. You won't have the slightest clue. And, and, and I get that. And we talked about this too, that like, I get that DC wants to tell disparate stories right now that are just good stories, period. And, that, and that's but fine. this, they have laid out, no, this is part of this future state 
Fear State continuity. This and is, yeah. all the Bat books are being pulled into this shit. They're, it's yes. happening through everything right now. Right. We are trying to read this by your rules, DC. And it seems yeah. like there are none. <laughs> it's not it's making true. sense. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And and I, I agree. The book is gorgeous. Uh, Olivier Coipel, the art, that guy. God damn. Swear to God. Just gets better, like, right? I, 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 yes. And it's funny. He, like, uh, the first time we ever saw his work was at DC, where he came on, he kicked down the doors of the Legion of Superheroes books and did uh, that four part crossover that set up Legion Lost with Abnett and Lanning. Uh, and uh, it's, he's only in the, in the 15 years or so since then, he has become a, a phenomenal superstar talent. And to see him here, in a book where I am wondering to myself, should I even bother reading this? Yeah. Is, is a insane proposition. To and me. again, like I, not this book's fault. It's not this book's fault, but also I have to, I have to review it based on whether or not I can enjoy the book on its own merits. That's fair. And if I am completely confused as to how we got here or where we're going or how it ties into what's going on in the other Batman books, yeah. that's a tough sell for me. So I'm giving it a skim it just based on that. The comic book itself is good. The writing is good. The art is good. But for me as a reader, I was just like puzzled the entire time. For those keeping score, this is the opposite of what normally happens. <laughs> where I complain about something that's happening in a larger universe and Joe Patrick <laughs> screams, that's not this book's fault. So, well, the, but, I mean, we're not talking about, we're not talking about Spider-Man swinging by and seeing Asgard in the sky. We're I talking about the Batman books. I get it. This is my final review from last week. It's primordial. Number one from image comics. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Andrea Sorrentino. Here's your solicit. Mind-bending sci-fi collides with Cold War thriller in this six-issue miniseries by the best-selling and Eisner-winning creative team behind Gideon Falls. In 1957, the USSR launched the dog Laika into Earth's orbit. Two years later, the USA responded with two monkeys, Abel and Baker. These animals never returned, but unbeknownst to everyone, they did not die in orbit. They were taken, and now they are coming home. Another week, another mind-bending tale from the labyrinthian mind of Jeff Lemire. Yes, that's a word. Spell check did not correct it. You said mine this twice, time, too. <laughs> <laughs> this time, he's back with his Gideon Falls collaborator, Andrea Sorrentino, and a story rooted in real-world-ish Cold War intrigue. This is a slightly different world history, where the U.S. and Russia discovered something so disturbing after their earliest launches that they both shuttered their space programs permanently. Unfortunately for sad bastard scientist Donald Pembroke, He's stumbled onto what should have been left forgotten. That's really all I want to say about the details of the story, which steamrolls into trippy conspiracy brought to life by Sorrentino's art. His page layouts, especially the way he punctuates something seemingly innocuous, like a single reading on a graph, are incredible and dizzying in the best way. He definitely leans on the photorealism in the beginning, but his grainy shapes on the page add to the sense that we're seeing this on like a yellowing government file or an old film reel. Like it's like the faces are built out of shadows and, and negative space yeah. instead of like lines, you that, know, that's really good. I didn't pick up on that. Like looking at like old black and white footage, like government footage. Definitely. Yeah. Like even if you look at the opening pages where, uh, Abel and Baker are being launched into space, like the coloring's all gritty looking. Right. Then there is a complete stylistic shift on the last few pages that knocked my socks off. Yeah. Primordial number one is another brilliant entry in Lemire and Sorrentino's body of work. I'm already hooked huge by it. Yeah. I can't even talk about my favorite part of the book with the art switch because it's, it's spoiler territory. But in the beginning of this, I was looking at it and I went, oh man, that's too bad because I really liked like the art style that Sorrentino used in Gideon Falls, which yeah. was just beautiful and i guess i wanted more of that but then as the story progressed i went oh i see what you're yeah, doing yeah he's doing it it's it, he's <laughs> yeah. doing something yeah yeah so it, it's definitely thought out it's not just photo referencing it's very cool it's super creepy perfect story for lemire i can't wait to see how fucking weird this gets and there was like 
some homage stuff to like old seventies record covers that I love and whatnot. Yeah, like. right. <laughs> yeah, this is just cool as hell. It's a huge. Let's jump into this week with Aquaman becoming number one from DC. It was three ninety nine. This was written by Brandon Thomas, and I apologize for this, Diego. I really do. With art by Diego Olorteggi. Olorteggi. I'm going with that. Olorteggi. Not your fault. Our dumb fault. Again, we apologize. Here's your solicit. Jackson Hyde finally has it all. Mentors who support him, a community that loves him, an honest relationship with his mother, cute new guy in Amnesty Bay who's caught his eye, and access to Aquaman's private training facility in Atlantis. Well, he had it all. Until that training facility and half the Atlantean palace got blown to kingdom come with Jackson in them. I think you should just say inside. Now Jackson stands accused of wrecking the life he worked so hard to build. Aqualad's gonna need all of his skills, wit, and cunning just to prove his own innocence, let alone graduate from sidekick to Aquaman. While Future State might be confusing bat readers, it doesn't seem to be affecting any other books namely this Jackson Hyde title. I bring it up because the last time we saw Jackson, he was Aquaman in Future State, and Joe and I both really enjoyed that series. The same writer is here, but the tone of the book seems to have shifted to a more younger audience vibe, I guess, which is fine. I get it. He's younger here, but it was a noticeable change. I like how Thomas writes Jackson as a character that's involved in Atlantean drama, but prefers to spend his time on shore with the Titans and helping people. There was a scene with a bank robber that shoots a guy that I thought came off as a little tonally awkward, but I liked how Thomas shows Jackson's compassion, which probably comes from his relationship with his human mother, by talking to one of the victims afterward. That's not to say that it's out of character for Arthur Aquaman, but it's certainly not something you see in his book very often. The art fits the tone of the script very well. It has a cartoonish look that, again, push the young audience feel for me, but Orlatege has some solid detail and shows a lot of promise here. It kind of gave me a Tom Grummet feel, but not the Tom Grummet that drives me crazy where he's drawing everyone as a baby. <laughs> this is a little lighter in tone than I expected, and that's fine, but I was much more impressed with both the story and the art of Future State Aquaman than with this. That said, I'm glad Thomas chose to dodge the mess that I Am Batman fell into by trying to return to future state. I'm giving this a strong skim it. See, this is where, again, we're back to you and I butting heads over the way the story's presented. You, you thought it was more of a, a young reader's kind of presentation. And while I don't necessarily disagree, this is a book about a teen hero. Um, but Teen Titans type books don't shy away from real stakes. Like, uh, yes, it was a virtual training session, but the 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 issue starts with Jackson surrounded by like the corpses of the Justice League. Like they're they're like their eyes are bulging out, they're bloodied, like they're dead. Sure. Uh, and while that scene where the person gets shot at the bank robbery, uh, you know, yeah, it's bad, but we don't know what happened. We don't know if the guy died. All we know is that a guy got shot in front of a woman who was terrified and Jackson took the time to like be with her and calm her down and stay with her until she was no longer scared. Yeah. I like, and that. I thought that that went miles towards establishing his character as a, as a, as a hero and a, and a person. We don't have to have the fight that we had in, in our text conversation because I changed my review after looking at it again. I just thought it was a little awkward. That's all they, when you've got like, but I, Titans, yeah, like this, but Titans together, there might be a dead guy on the ground. Hooray. <laughs> you know, like, they don't know that they're not there. They're what they're watching the news. They're waiting for him to, update them they don't know there's a potentially dead guy on the ground they're just happy for their friend that he beat up a, a bad guy got it uh so and, and while you say you changed your review the rating is still the same yeah you, I was, like your opinions are all still the same i was much more harsh in my first review where i was like what yeah no i, don't I get that at all. like <laughs> i thought this was i thought this was great i thought the art was fantastic there are a couple like it's it's a little uh it's pretty cartoony uh which i like um but there are a couple of panels where I was very impressed by the uh, draftsmanship of the art. Uh, the first one is uh, where Jackson kind of like erupts from the water uh, as he's leaving Atlantis and going to Amnesty Bay. I thought that that panel was stunning. 
there's another one, uh, very innocuous later on, or a few issues, a few pages later, where um, his mom, he's with his mom in the diner and she's got her face in her, in her hand with this look on her face. Like, yeah, right. And it's such a well-drawn expression that I like, I had to stop and look at it. I was like, man, that's really well done. Uh, so I was impressed by this. I don't know anything about Jack. Like DC has been trying to make Jackson Hyde a major character since brightest day. Right. So we're talking 10 plus years here. And to be fair, he was not this character and during brightest day though. I mean, like, it was just a new, he was slightly different. He was a new character. <laughs> well, sure, right. Uh, I mean, this is the same character, but different. And the only real, the only thing I really know about Jackson Hyde is how he was portrayed on the Young Justice cartoon, and it was nothing like either version of this character. No, he was kind of a jerk on that. Honestly, I mean, he was very, you know, he was not a jerk. He was just like all, he was all business, you right. know, like kind of, um, and. So I don't know. Like, I thought this was great. I think this version of Aqualad is charming. I'm not sure why DC is doing all of this future stuff when they told us they weren't. They were like, 5G, just kidding. We're not doing 5G. Except now that we're doing we're doing what would have been 5G. I, this, we're we're yeah. getting future Batman. We're getting future Aquaman. There's a really larger conversation we need to have on cover to cover about this, probably. Right. Yeah, yes. Um, but as far as this book's concerned, this was a buy it for me. I thought it was charming and beautifully drawn. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you live in the sea. My first book from this Wednesday, that's today, you guys, is Frontiersman number one from Image Comics. It's written by Patrick Kindlin with art by Marco Ferrari. Here's your solicit. Patience, conviction, revenge. Team Patrick Kindlin and Marco Ferrari reunite for an all-new ongoing series at Image. Classic Green Arrow-style adventure blends with the thoughtfulness of concrete in a superhero odyssey for mature but uncynical readers. Frontiersman is coaxed out of retirement by an environmentalist group, only to find that being a spokesperson makes him a target for old and new enemies alike. For the superhero reader, looking for more. As a cynical reader, I give it a leave it. <laughs> like, what is this uncynical reader shit? I, I don't get that. <laughs> uh, and you know what? This actually delivered for me on the claim we teased them for last week. This did read like an older, more jaded Ollie Queen. Oh, totally. Content to live out his days in solitude in the Redwoods forest. But the world he once fought so passionately for isn't ready to let him go. I was really impressed with the script from Patrick Kindlin. His dialogue is smart, compelling, conscientious, and even funny at times. I would plunk down hard-earned cash to read the adventures of a character named Dr. Crawpappy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, Crawpappy got his doctorate? That's so great. Yeah, they just, like, mentioned it. <laughs> he didn't go to Crawpappy Medical yeah. School for eight years just to be like, called he Mr. He was Crawpappy. Dr. Crawpappy, but he never had his doctorate. Now right. he actually it's, got it. <laughs> right. I enjoyed seeing Frontiersman's crisis of conscience as he spoke with friends and struggled to decide whether or not he should come out of retirement for yet another cause. I was blown away by Marco Ferrari's art. Yeah. Uh, while his, his faces did get a little weird at times. Like they kind of get the, he had this tendency in a few panels to devolve into this like manga or anime style, like chibi deformed, like, Big eyes and I mean, bulging. Like, not that bad. I wouldn't go that not, far. Not, not all the way there, but yeah. kind of there. And again, it was only in a couple of parts, but everything else from the lush green environments of the forest to the very detailed uh, like line work of the cityscapes and bridges to the character designs is incredibly well done. I actually said, whoa, out loud when I saw the splash page that introduces us to the title character where he comes out of nowhere to yeah. smash a robot. Yeah. Uh, under like while he's towered over by these huge redwoods and sunlight's pouring through the, it's beautiful. I had no expectations going into Frontiersman number one, but I was really impressed by the story delelivered by Kindlin and Ferrari. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I love this. And it, it's one it of those so things good. where you have a team that comes in and instantly creates not just one hero, but a whole world and pantheon of heroes that you're like, well, I want to know more about that. I want to know more about that. You Black know? Hammer. It's a kind of Black Hammerish in that way. Totally. Totally. And th- there's part of me that wishes that something like this was an aging Ollie story, you know, but that's okay that it's not as well. And, and if it's written well, 
and drawn this beautifully, I'm 100% in. This- I love, I, I just like, I, I want to shout out uh, Ferrari for the character design of Frontiersman, uh, whose cowl is just a Daniel Boone. Yeah. Uh, coonskin I mean, cap with wears, a mask sewn well, into it. He is Daniel Boone. He wears a jacket with the tassels and everything. He looks like he's ready to defend the Alamo or something. Yeah, you know? it's true. It's so great. <laughs> I loved him. I'm giving this a huge buy. My final review goes to the death of Doctor Strange. Number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It was written by Jed McKay with art by Lee Garbett. Here's your solicit. Death comes for the Sorcerer Supreme! Dr. Stephen Strange is the world's greatest neurosurgeon and Earth's Sorcerer Supreme. He defends our planet from the supernatural and interdimensional threats no other hero is equipped to handle. But what would happen if he unexpectedly died? Who would protect Earth and keep the mystical evils at bay? And most importantly, who killed Stephen Strange? The final chapter in the life of Dr. Strange starts here by Jed McKay, who does Moon Knight and Black Cat, and Lee Garbett, who worked on Captain Marvel, among other things, and is crazy, stupid, talented. A few episodes back on Cover to Cover, we talked about characters we love that probably can't sustain a regular series on their own, and Doctor Strange was my main choice. I love the character, but he's very difficult to get right. The good news is, Jed McKay not only understands the character, he's here to have fun with the Sorcerer Supreme. The story picks up after the last Strange series and the status quo. Steven is a surgeon again. McKay plays off that idea really, really well. I might argue better than Wade did in that last series. He's also still teaching at Strange Academy, which is another book that I need to catch up on. There's a mystery set up here, and obviously it's who killed Doc Strange, but the real fun is in just reading McKay's take on Steven. He's still cocky as hell, but he's also happy. And he admits that he carries himself in a way that the public expects the Sorcerer Supreme to present himself. And it's not always fun. He's tired sometimes, but gotta be Doctor Strange, you know? Lee Garbett is wonderful here, as usual. And his realism and thin, detailed line art gets better every time I see it. Garbett gets to draw just about every magical character you can think of, including one that I love so much that has not been around in Doctor Strange for way too long, goddammit. Who? Clea. Oh, Clea. I love Clea. (laughs) (laughs) And it is obvious that he is having just as much fun as McKay. This is exactly the kind of story we need for Doctor Strange with a fantastic setup and one of the best last pages I've seen in quite a while. I didn't know there was going to be 10 tie-ins to this story. And Neither this did I. wasn't ending until next January. But so far, the death of Doctor Strange is off to an amazing start. Huge buy it here. Yeah, I thought this was really great. Really uh, I haven't was. been reading Strange Academy, but this made me want to go back. Uh, Doctor Strange is a character that I do think can support a solo series, but I'm just really bad at staying caught up. Everyone, every time somebody comes in with a new idea, it's it seems like a breath of fresh air. Like when Jason Aaron wrote him as like kind of depowered, and he had to rely more on artifacts and weapons because he w- he had given up some of his power or whatever. Or with Mark Wade where he was like, I made a deal with a demon and now I'm a surgeon again, you know? And we get a little bit of that here as well. And this was such a fun spin on that, uh, very referential to like the Silver Age version of the of the character in a way that I, uh, uh, at first, uh, really laughed at and then did not see coming. Yeah. And uh, the art is wonderful. McKay has a great grasp on Stephen Strange as a character. I loved the scene where he's just chilling at home. He's got his feet soaking in a bath of some sort of, yeah. he said it's Epsom salts. Bullshit. There were tentacles coming out of it. <laughs> well, of course uh, he's Dr. Strange. <laughs> sure. Uh, and you know, there's a knock at the door and he goes to the door and he's like, all right, Stephen, the Sorcerer Supreme can't be tired. The Sorcerer Supreme has to be put together. Right. Get, you know, put your game face on and he does the thing and becomes Dr. Strange. I, that was such a great scene to show you that, hey, Dr. Strange is just a guy, okay? Yeah. 
yes, absolutely buy this. I am on board for at least the main series. I don't know what the tie-ins are, but I'm going to read the main series for sure. Strange. Stanley Kubrick might have pioneered this effect in 2001, A Space Odyssey, but only Doctor Strange dared bring it to television. You should and finally... It's X-Men, The Onslaught Revelation, number one from Marvel. It's written by Cy Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn. Here's your solicit. You have strayed from the way of X. The onslaught is upon you. Bullet. The X-Men's greatest foe, mutant kind's primal evil, slithers in the minds of its most senior leaders. Gross. Bullet. (laughs) The kids whisper of the crucible. A party to end all parties. A party to end everything. Dumb. Bullet. <laughs> Dumb name. Sorry. <laughs> the seals are broken. The trumpets have sounded. Only a small band of eccentric mutants can hope to break the fall. Bullet. Can Nightcrawler light the spark that will drive out the shadows? Dot dot dot. Or will Krakoa slip into the abyss? Dot dot dot. What I didn't realize when I picked this is that the onslaught revelation is essentially way of X number six, which put me in a tough spot since I never read number two through five. <laughs> I did. Luckily, you didn't know this. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Uh, luckily, I uh, <clears throat> had some extra time on my hands this week, and I did my due diligence to get caught up. Uh, I enjoyed the struggle of Nightcrawler's philosophical journey through the new mutant paradigm, only to discover that there truly is something sinister at work on Krakoa. Without spoiling any specific details, all of those fishy feelings about the resurrection protocols and how certain mutants have been acting were totally legit, as the psychic parasite onslaught has been running amok in the minds of the reborn. While this is certainly an X-Men adventure, Spurrier's story is heavy on character work with lesser used or brand new characters, which I am always on board for. And we get some excellent dialogue from favorites like Dr. Nemesis. In the end, we're left with the promise of a new team title, that will fill a specific niche in the same way X factor has. And based on the lineup, I can't wait to read it. It's got a lot of uh, my favorites in it. Bob Quinn's art is maybe not what you'd expect in a conventional X-Men story, but when was the last time we had one of those? His exaggerated style really fits a story with Nightcrawler at the heart and Legion's patchwork mind as the setting. I can't really say that this merited a separately titled issue with a price hike, but that's marketing for you. The Onslaught Revelation is a great end to the way of X and a bridge to whatever comes next. I'm, I liked this a lot. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay, I don't disagree. This was a very good way to end the way of X. There's no reason why it could not have been way of X number six. I will definitely say that. And I'll bet at one point it was. And they decided, no, let's blow it up into this other thing. I did not love Bob Quinn's art here. I thought it got a little out of control here and there. It's not terrible by any means. When you're doing like this astral, you know, projection, psychic stuff going on, like you need someone that can really nail it. And I just don't, he may have been a little out of his depth in some of it is all I'm saying. I, I thought he nailed it. Like what didn't he nail about it? I didn't love some of it. I thought some of it looked kind of silly, quite honestly. I really that, liked the astral story. Plane, bro. I thought like this was some of the best Fabian Cortez stuff I've ever read because otherwise yeah, because Fabian Cortez sucks. It's just an asshole. And this is him realizing it. And there was sort of a comeuppance there. That was really nice. It seems like this onslaught story and the idea of the resurrection protocols being polluted is very cool. And I get it, but it's also very isolated to this book. Like we're looking at Onslaught as though it, he should be a bigger deal than he is in this. And I think that that's the marketing's fault, not the story's fault. Because yes. I don't think Onslaught was ever the point. I don't disagree because this is, it, I mean, we, I would have to spoil it to say what it really is, but it's maybe not the Onslaught that they led on in the solicit. I'll say that. Well, right. Yes. No, I certainly, yeah, yeah. for sure. I'll say that. And, and again, that's a, that's an, I am Batman situation right. where it's like, you have no idea what the hell's going on yeah. because not this yeah. book's fault. And what, like, there's nothing in here that uh, other than like, if you haven't read the solicit, like I know they're online, but how many comic fans just read the solicits? Well, regardless as of opposed that, to like buying them, like, yeah, I, regardless if, you, of if that, you don't know what way of X is, why would you even know what was going on in this at all? Sure. No, totally. And that's not fair to anybody that picks this up because it doesn't say way of X onslaughts, whatever there, there's nothing to let you know. Oh, you needed to read fucking five issues before this. Just like you said, that's Marvel's fault. That's not this book's fault. And when you put the word onslaught on the cover, that also, regardless of whether you read the solicit or not, 
anybody who knows that name is going to go, what? I got to see yeah. what the hell's going on here. And right, they're probably right. going to be pretty confused. Again, not this book's fault. It's bad marketing. I liked what it set up. I liked the story. I very much enjoyed Simon Spurrier's Way of X. I think this is just a little bit of a mess, and it comes down to a marketing thing. I'm giving it a buy it as an end to that series. Yeah. But I don't think this is a fair way for Marvel to do this. I think it's a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a bad fit. Fa- like it's a, it's, 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 it's a failure. It's, of marketing. A bait and switch. it's kind of a bait and switch. They, yeah. they, they build it as this special X-Men event. And really it is right. the end cap of a series that you may or may not have even. And, and, and if, again, if you read way of X one through five, then you would know what they were building to. If you just went into this and you saw onslaught was on the cover, and you looked at Nightcrawler and stuff and went, well, I got to see what's going on here. You're going to be disappointed. You just are because you don't know what's going on. And that's not this book's fault. Totally agree. 100%. That's eight new comics from the last two weeks reviewed. And now it is time to crown the champ. Joe Patrick, which comic was the best in this pile and gets to be filed away forever never to be read again in the THN permanent collection <laughs> so as to stay in near mint condition we have some well, you know, yeah. slime issues with our fingers well, and also <laughs> underground you know underground <laughs> yeah. vault you yeah. know they get musty sure. mold mold people uh, so I think I'm going to give it to Frontiersman because uh, as much as I loved Primordial like I already was in the tank for Primordial you know it's Jeff Lemire Andrea Sorrentino I knew I was going to love it um, and Frontiersman was a book that I found totally surprising in all the best ways by two creators that I am not familiar with. For sure. And so, yeah, Frontiersman, great job, guys. Like, I, I am a fan. You've, I am a new fan of your work. I don't know what you did before this, but I'm going to seek it out. And I'm definitely on board for more of this series. Totally. I am, too. I want to see where it goes. I'm giving mine to the death of Doctor Strange. Because it was good. Jed McKay has such a fantastic hold on this character, and the way that he wrote Stephen Strange just felt effortless. Like he knew him, and and like you wanted to hang out with Stephen Strange. I loved it. Him and Bats, the ghost dog, getting up and going for a walk in the morning. Like, oh, loved it. <laughs> it was just great. I got to see where this goes. Death of Doctor Strange. It's- Want to read it along with THN? You can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. And don't forget to check our Instagram feed to see our covers of the week every Wednesday. Also, let us know what you thought of these comics and anything that you read on our live call-in show. It's THN Cover to Cover this Saturday on Facebook live from 11 a.m. to noon Central Time. It's late September, and that means it's Oktoberfest in the ziggurat. So we're celebrating the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, wearing our lederhosen, sipping a stinky brown German beer, and crushing sausages and kraut while we talk about our must-read picks for next week. Joe Patrick, pass me the mustard and tell these nerds what they need to pick up next week. My pick for next week is Inferno number one from Marvel. It's $5.99, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Valerio Schiti. Uh, This kind of explains why Valerio Schiti was not drawing the trial of Magneto. It's because they were like, oh, no, we need you to draw this much more important event. Okay. Here's your solicit. Speaking of comic books that are billed as major events, (laughs) the culmination of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men begins here. There will be an island, not the first, but the last, dot, dot, dot. Promises were made and broken. (gasps) The rulers of Krakoa have been playing a dangerous game with a dangerous woman, and they are about to see how badly that can burn them. (gasps) Mastermind of the X-Men, Jonathan Hickman. I'm sorry, it's pronounced Jonathan. Jonathan Hickman brings his plans to a head, joined by an incredible lineup of artists, including... Valeria Skitty. I just said that, guys. Yeah, come on. As one woman follows through on her promise to burn the nation of Krakoa to the ground. <gasps> Mystique, get your groove back, girl. Yeah. Do it. 
She and she deserves to. They've been such a jerk to her. I know. I'm ready for it now. I'm like rooting for Mystique to fuck this up. And like I, I like <laughs> I, I'm, and now he's got like Professor X and Magneto have like this built-in excuse. Like oh, oh, oh onslaught. I'm so sorry. We weren't in our right minds. <laughs> fuck off. My pick for next week is Turbo Kid, Apple's Lost Adventure, number one of two from Behemoth what? Comics. It's $3.99. This I hope is, we can get a copy of this. This is written by Anouk Whistle and Various with art by J-E-I-K, Jake. Okay, Jake Dion. Why not? The cult movie Turbo Kid is turning into a franchise with a sequel film in development, a video game, and now with this comic written by the directors and drawn by the storyboard artist of the movie. In this first issue, the Turbo Rider faces the robot war, and Apple discovers a path that leads to the kid. A path full of blood, gore, fights, synth music, gore. and of course, BMX. Oh, okay, I get it now. If you never saw Turbo Kid, you need to stop this recording okay, and I don't go know watch it immediately. Okay. It is All right. wonderful. It is a story of a kid and his BMX bike in like post-nuclear apocalypse kicking ass by doing wheelies and shit <laughs> like my, right. michael ironside is in it as the bad guy and of course he's a mutant <laughs> with like robot parts and shit it was a super low budget sci-fi film that was probably made about five maybe ten years ago i in the last 10 years i'll say with an amazing soundtrack by matmos with this is a very like vaporwave lo-fi 80s soundtrack this is for fans of any 80s b sci-fi movies oh my god i loved turbo kid like when i saw it screamed about how great it was it's so much fun i can't wait to read this comic written by the director drawn by the storyboard artist and i can't wait for more turbo kid it is so great. I'll have to check it out. For oh, sure. It's wonderful. The THN trade of the week goes to underground. It's a trade paperback from Oni press. It's 1999 written by Jeff Parker with art by Steve Lieber. And here's your solicit Parker Ranger and avid caver. Wesley Fisher is on a one woman mission to stop Stillwater cave from being turned into a tourist trap. But public opinion is not on her side. When violent locals begin blasting in the cave, Wes and a fellow ranger investigate. A confrontation between both parties spirals into a deadly chase, forcing the two rangers to flee deep beneath the Kentucky mountains. First to escape pursuers, and then the most deadliest threat, the cave itself. That's right, they said the most deadliest. It's better than mostest deadliest. Mostest deadly. <laughs> this is back in print after years, featuring a new cover and design with art by Steve Lieber, who you may know now from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. He also drew Whiteout. Uh, Greg Rucka's Whiteout and Jeff Parker, who we love from oh, yeah. stuff like uh, Agents of Atlas, X-Men First Class. Uh, he did a lot of the Adam West uh, Batman 66 comics. Love that guy. They uphold the adventure genre with a thriller that digs deep into the abyss. We love both these guys. Super excited to read this. We do, yeah. And I remember when Underground came out, like the trade came out in like 2010, yeah. so years ago. And so it, the issues came out even before that. And so it's been out of print for a long time. And it's good that these guys are getting back on the stands. It's that they're two great creators and Jeff Parker. I miss reading that guy's stuff, man. Yeah, both these dudes need to be way more famous. It's bullshit. Be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read. And next week, be sure to tune in for our Take a Look. It's in a book review of Jeff Smith's Tukey, which was just successfully funded on Kickstarter and coming very soon. So head to Cartoon Books and pre-order that shit. It's going to be awesome. This is Jeff Smith who did Bone. We're super excited to read it. Uh, our buddy Willie Toots is going to join us for this one. It's going to be a good time. A good Toots time, you might say. A good Toots time. It sure seems like DC reboots, relaunches, and restores their continuity once a year, but today the comic pushers are looking at the big one that started all the most recent DCU shakeups. Ten years ago, DC Editorial decided Jeff Johns' Flashpoint story should completely reset the DCU, but with no real direction or purpose. And point of clarification, was, they also decided, nah, maybe not, after they decided that, and had already started doing stuff with it. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it was just going to be 
new. And that's what they called it, the new 52. On its 10th birthday, the comic pushers decided to look back and discuss what worked, what didn't, and what's better left forgotten from the new 52. Matt, let's start with the good stuff. What new 52 books do you think still hold up? I think it's really easy to kick the new 52 around because of all the ridiculousness that was a part of it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But there were some fun things to read, starting with, for me, Wonder Woman by Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chiang. Now, this was a book that took the reboot very seriously, and it changed Wonder Woman's origin. She was no longer a creature made of clay that was brought to life. She was a full-on demigod. Although, there were some characters that called her Clay, C-L-E-Y. Not totally sure why, (laughs) but New 52 got canceled before Ryan could answer all of the questions we had. This Wonder Woman was set up, she was very similar, but she was set up defending the world from the gods, and she was also sort of like the gods' moral center. It was basically the story of how the Greek gods are constantly screwing with society, and Wonder Woman is literally the only thing that steps in and defends us from them. Starting with this story, where she's defending Zola, the latest girl Zeus knocked up. (laughs) And she is defending her from literally every Greek god. The idea being that, like, they're convinced baby's just going to be bad. Really, 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 really bad. It's a terrible idea. We haven't done this for a very long time. And humanity as it is now probably can't handle the sire of Zeus. So kill it. Because that's what gods do. They don't like things. Kill it. So Wonder Woman spends pretty much the entire first half of the run defending Zola and the baby, who, spoiler alert, turns out to be kind of a piece of shit. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) Diana's place was, I mean, we need to let it live first and see what happens. Halfway through the run, she kills Ares, the god of war, and she ends up taking his place. She becomes the god of war, but she sort of uses her point of view to be, to set it up as, yes, she is the god of war and has those powers, but sometimes that most powerful thing is to back off, to submit, to say, maybe war is not the answer here. Like, Azarello is very good with Diana's voice. War, huh? Yeah. What is it good for? Exactly. Through the whole thing, Azarello is very, very good with Diana's voice. Cliff Chang is just incredible. Absolutely incredible in this book. It's gorgeous to look at. There's a lot of original, very cool ideas here that felt like Azarello was exploring the Greek pantheon of gods, the way Kirby did the new gods. And to be fair, like Wonder Woman had always been sort of adjacent to that stuff. It was around, but they hadn't really leaned into it this far. They never did get to certain things. Like they hinted that like her bracelets were on her because they were like holding back some of her power. Like she was almost too powerful. And they never really got to finish that idea. I thought that was really interesting and would have liked to have seen where they were going with that. But we got to a point where editorial said, this isn't working. We got to reset everything. Well, no, I mean, Azarello and and Chang's, they left the book after 20 some issues. Like, it's not like that New 52 was over by then. No, it wasn't. But they had had ideas for the story that was supposed to keep going. But the writing was on the wall that this is going to come to an end. And they said, okay, peace out. See ya. (laughs) And they left. So this is a very good self-contained, I'll give it, albeit sort of Elseworlds Wonder Woman story told by this team. I really enjoyed it. If you want to hear Joe and I's full Comic Bushers New 52 discussion, then you've got to head over to patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. And for the low price of $1 a month, which directly supports this show, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. You can hear our Patreon extras and all kinds of special stuff that we have coming up that we do monthly, like our tales too terrible to tell. This month, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man, Sins Past, and let me tell you, I just read that thing, and wow, it is so much more dramatic than I remember it, and gross. Ugh, but we'll talk about that too. Head over to Patreon, support this show, and if you already do, then you're the biggest badass in the world, and I love you. And you know that, okay? You gotta pay for love in this country. That's how it works. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 636! And next week is another Cosmic Longbox episode where we rap about 
classic comics with a theme, and this time it's trapped in a suit. Now, what does that mean? Joe Patrick, lay it out for him. So it's, it's a character that is uh, trapped in a costume they can't take off, a suit of armor, a containment suit. Their skin's been covered in something they can't remove. Basically, uh, as a result of whatever happened to them to turn them into a superhero or a villain, uh, they are stuck that way and can't get out. They can't take a shower, basically. I love it. I love it. <laughs> If you want to rap about this week's episode... Don't or, ask them how they go to the bathroom. Yeah, Just don't you, do you it. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. When the human bomb goes to the bathroom, bad shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to rap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, hit us up live on our call-in show. We call it THN. Cover to cover. We do it every Saturday. What time does it happen, Matt? It happens at 11 Central Standard Time. Where do we go check this out? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget... About do I even need to be here? <laughs> no, don't worry. The audience doesn't either. I just do this all the time. And don't forget about our question of the week. You've had two weeks to think about it. No excuses, That's right. jerks. This week's question was submitted. Uh, it was it was by me, but it was a team effort. Now that we've had a decade to simmer on the new 52 reboot, which titles were your favorites and which ones totally missed the mark? And do you think the relaunch was a good move for DC in the long run? That's the part of the question that Matt and I are going to focus on because yeah. you already heard our opinions in this episode about the individual titles. Well, we dig pretty um, deep into it in our Patreon, in our Patreon extra as well. Though. But I mean, you know, also like if you didn't, if you if you're not going to hear this week's installment, uh, this week's segment in the main show. We're definitely going to talk about whether or not the new 52 was a good thing or a bad thing. And if DC is better for having done it, spoilers, they couldn't have been worse. Yeah, probably not, right? <laughs> like, probably not. Uh, it started a cascading effect, I'll say It that. really did. Now, uh, please do keep your own question of the week suggestions coming. They can be submitted a, a variety of ways, notably, most notably through email, uh, Twitter, Facebook, the THN voicemail hotline, which is 402-819-4894. We love uh, that. Notice, we'll play it on the show. It's awesome. That's right. If you, Yeah, if you call the hotline and give us your question on the show or on the voicemail or in MP3 form, we will use your own voice as the question. It will be your chance to be a part of the show. That's right. Fart noises and all. Seth Jimmy Randall. He calls us in farts like it's almost It's true. And we love him for it. We do. Uh, you'll notice that oh. I did not mention the THN forums. It's because I think the sun is setting on the THN forums. So, so you know, maybe find a different way to get well, those I to me. Email is, works as well. I think the sun is set on forums uh, circa 2010. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, you're probably right. You're probably right. You can join us via Zoom on Saturday by clicking the link in the Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message at the hotline. As I said, we will make you internet famous. And as I also said, you can use that to answer the question of the week. Give us your thoughts about anything you want to talk about on Cover to Cover or submit your own question of the week suggestion or comic pusher suggestion or ask a nerd question. Yeah, yeah. It's for anything. Anything goes. It's for you. Use it. And pro tip, if you're going to jump into our Zoom, use your name. doesn't have to be your full name or whatever. But if you come in with like a name like CSSJSSSS, whatever, I know you're just trying to get in here to show somebody your dick and we're not going to let you on the air. So use your name. <laughs> All right. And uh, Zach Hollowell, we know your name. We still don't want to see your dick. <laughs> well, we've seen it and we're just bored of it at this point. We have, right. You've seen it once, you've seen it all. If you're new to the show and you're sick to death of listening to these two dicks, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is, is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive. You can find that at twoheadednerd.com. So much cool shit there, you guys. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like the GOAT, Mr. Patrick Gautier. He has the most important sounding last name we have on this damn show, right? I have to say that that's probably true. He sounds important. He sounds like French royalty or some shit. Gautier. The or French, he sounds like a famous designer of some kind. And the French are a little upset with us right now. There was like a nuclear sub deal. It didn't go down so well. And Biden looks mad about it. So, you know. Thank you for continuing your patronage, sir. 
We're well, all he's not actually team. French. You know, he's. I think he's Canadian. As far as I'm concerned, he is. Okay. Okay. There you go. And that's what we're best at, assuming your nationality. Yeah, we're really good at that. And, and the pronunciation of your name. And mispronouncing no your name. Knowledge. With no actual knowledge. Again, it's part of the joke. We are the dummies, yeah, not we're, you. We're bad at it. This is not like you're foreign. Yeah, oh, like, oh, oh. I, like if you if it's your first day here and you're offended by anything you heard, you're supposed to be because we're idiots. That's our brand. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our pal Chase Magnet. Not only does Chase do a lot to help the show behind the scenes, but 18 years after falling in love with comics through John Ostrander's Suicide Squad, Chase was able to have the writer join his classroom as a speaker to educate and inspire the next generation of creative writers. Word to you, Chase. The world of education is lucky to have you. That is so awesome. That is super cool. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might scramble the continuity so bad that you couldn't follow it if you fucking wanted to. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. But first... Your onomatopoeia of the week. I already gave up on following our continuity. <laughs> Hello, this is Baal from Earth 27 calling with your onomatopoeia of the week. Your onomatopoeia of the week is scrunch, 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 scrunch. This is the sound of Matter Eater Lad eating Superman's hand from Matter Eater Lad. Eats the DC Universe number one published by DC Comics in the Earth Prime year 2022. If our space-time coordinates are not currently aligned, it is possible that this onomatopoeia is a spoiler for a comic that has yet to be published on Earth Prime. My emotional sensitivity subroutine indicates that there is a 90% probability that I should apologize for this. However, my interest in your emotional state is limited, and I am not going to. That is all.